0: Friends, welcome back to the Wild at Heart podcast here in the week of May 8th. And before I introduce who's with me here in the studio this week, let's do what we do. And that is to pause, check in on our body, soul, and spirit, and just release. Release all things now. You can do it for a moment Release all things so that we can be present to God and to one another and to what he is doing. Jesus, we do, we give everyone and everything to you. And we pray for our union And we pray for your life and your love and your kingdom to fill each of us and to surround us wherever we are, wherever we're listening in. Come and meet us in this podcast. Speak to our soul's deepest needs. In your name, Jesus, we all pray. Amen. Amen. All right. I am stoked that with me this week and next week, my son, Sam. Good to be here. Many of you, most of you know Sam from multiple podcasts and also from his work on the Anson's Journal and the Anson's Podcast, which had a long run Mm -hmm. before Sam and Blaine landed that, allowing Blaine to go on to do some things he wanted to do, some writing projects and yeah, we'd say greener pastures, except it's pretty dry where he lives.
1: So you know.
0: Yes, he's describing himself as a subsistence farmer <laughs> yeah, now. Yeah. But he did. He did buy a farm out east about an hour, and and they're doing that life, and he's doing some writing. And then you, meanwhile, went back to school. Mm-hmm. You are a third-year grad student in a counseling program.
1: That's right. The end is in sight. It's interesting to be in the third year when, you know, I would say – I've been doing trainings in this field over the last decade. Yes. And I've been in this message, which is very therapeutic for over two decades. So it's this funny thing that in my cohort, I've noticed some people look at me where they're like, you, you have been in this longer than three years. And it's true. And also, yeah, I'm a third-year grad student who's like, man, the DSM, it's crazy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So- um, yeah, preparing for a career as a therapist.
1: Mm-hmm. Wish I had the name of my practice so you guys could all go get on the wait list, but I don't. So that's just too bad. <laughs> yeah, don't jump on the wait list yet, folks.
0: <laughs> Not yet. But Sam and I have been riffing on some conversations offline that I wanted to bring online here mm-hmm. into, the, into the studio. And we were talking, the first thing I had asked you about is, what are you observing what do you, I mean as a third year student you're seeing clients now right right actually a lot of clients and so what are you observing in the human condition what are you observing in your in your field yeah yeah when we were talking about this the other day um it's hard my first
1: thought goes to like oh everybody's story is so different every all these people like their their faces their backgrounds and yet there's a few pieces that really do feel like they tie the stories together and one was <laughs> And it's it's gonna feel like both hopeful and sad, but the bar is lower than you think, and by that I mean the bar to be a good parent, or to be a good friend, or to be a good spouse, or son, or coworker. Like I have noticed in my own life and the lives of my peers that we all compare upwards. We just keep doing that. Like I, I'm comparing myself to the people that I think are really killing it and therefore I must not be. And over the last couple of years, sitting with people that are in need, something in me has clicked and goes, oh, oh.
0: Humanity's not doing that
1: great. Right. The bar to be a good mom, to be a good dad, to be a good spouse isn't actually that high. It It's phenomenally low in a heartbreaking way. Yeah. And also kind of in a, Hopeful way. It's kind of gone both ways for me. There's been sessions I've walked away and gone, Oh my gosh, I need to tell everybody like, you are killing it as a dad if you are showing up and you're just asking a few questions and yes. you're, you're present. Yes. And it's really, 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 really hard to do that.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cause the accuser is always there saying, You suck at this. You're, yeah. you're a terrible dad. You're a terrible mom. You're a terrible friend. Yeah,
1: yeah. the internal accuser, the internal critic is this universal experience (sighs) that in the therapy world, we look at it as this tool that people use to, I will judge myself first and hardest so that nobody else does. Mm. And we just see that over and over again. And it's really hard to like break out the smelling salts and go like, hang on, hang on. No, like that's actually not true. And you can come back to, really the beauty and the hope that is show up. I mean, I, we talked about this on the Ensons podcast, but the stat is it's the good enough parent that actually has the best outcomes for kids. So the truly broken parent and family, obviously that that is a heartbreak and a tragedy that has some pretty obvious implications. But interestingly, the perfect parent messes up their kids. On the similar, like there's if there's a bell curve, you get back down low again when you're the parent who is doing everything right, everything by the book, everything like saying all the right things. There's no margin of error. It's the parent that's good enough.
0: Be, wait, wait, wait. You got to pause on that because all the perfectionists and I all know. the people who are striving to be there I are know. like, wait, what? Hold on. I've been told all of my adult life to get my act together.
1: And if you think that I'm talking about you because I am in your world, I'm not. I'm genuinely not talking about you. I'm talking about the study. And yes, I have a perfectionist too. And the perfectionist in me wants to go, okay, but like how many vacations and how many like, what's the next tool? And wow, Morgan just talked about doing bow hunting with his son when he was like two months old. Like, wow, I should. so I'm behind now, all that stuff. I feel you. If you can set that to the side for a moment and go, the parent who's willing to admit their mistakes, but who's present, the parent who yells, but then parks the car and turns around and apologizes. The parent who gets to the soccer game late, but they came, like that parent actually has really, 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 really good outcomes. Okay.
0: This is fascinating because there's room to breathe. Yeah. In that household, there's room to breathe.
1: You're allowed to be a human being. Right. The kids are allowed to be human beings. Everybody's allowed to be a human being yes, the room to breathe thing is is huge. And I I was baffled by it when I first encountered it, because it's like, you know, my mind goes to, well, obviously, households where there's abuse or neglect, like, that's going to be really hard on those those kids as they grow up into adults. Um, But really, like, it's not this just exponential scale of, like, increasing holiness and perfection, and then you can create, you know, like... Some hybrid of Michael Phelps and <laughs> Bill Gates. A bit like you're just gonna <laughs> cherry pick guarantee. right. Yeah. You're like, I've created somebody with the wealth of Bill Gates and the athleticism of Danny McCaskill, who's the Scottish like trick mountain biker. If you guys have seen any of his videos, like and the holiness of a of a monk. Like yes. sorry, that exponential graph just isn't
0: the case. Okay. okay. Around Christmas time, we start getting cards from friends and colleagues and people from our church days in years, way gone by. And these are the sort of the last touch points, which are really kind of love. You're like, whoa, look, their kids have really grown up. Or, whoa, man, they look really old. Are we old? (laughs) Surely not. So there is one family whose Christmas card we really look forward to, uh, and I don't they listen to this podcast. But even if they do, we love it. Thank you. but it it is a family where, Young adult children are now going out into the world. And so the reports are, you know, oh, you know, young Jerry at 17, he's taken up falconry and he does that in between his cello lessons and finishing his advanced work at MIT. Like, yes, like almost literally.
1: Yes, there's like three kids and they do as they go back down the line and you're waiting for the one that just says, like, and Stephanie just cured cancer in Somalia <laughs> yes. for the orphans. And you're like, yes, man, I yeah. suck at this.
0: No, no, it's really fun because. We get that one and we go, okay, okay. Back off the pressure. Mm -hmm. Like we don't have to be them. We don't have to compete with that. Right. And, And yeah, I love that, Sam, what you're discovering about. It's the household that has breathing room. Right. For error. Are you allowed to be a human being? Because if you
1: have that permission, then your spouse has that permission then your children have that permission, then you create an environment of conversation and growth Mm. and and connection. Mm. And from that standpoint, you actually have really hopeful and healthy and robust Mm. outcomes. And so you can take the pressure off. You don't need to sign Jeremy up for falconry unless that's what he likes to do and you have that kind of money. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah,
0: our, our little is at the UN negotiating a peace settlement right now between Russia and Ukraine. Exactly. You know, like like, it, go, Danika. Yeah, yeah, cracking up at that. Yes. Um, as we were riffing, as we were riffing on what you're learning in your program and what you're learning with clients and what we as a organization who has a lot of touch points with people Mm -hmm. around the world, what we're seeing, what we began to reflect on that we wanted to bring into this podcast is something around the idea of the radical discomfort people have around suffering Mm -hmm. and therefore the inability to be present to those who are in it. Right. Am I naming that correctly? Yeah,
1: yeah, you definitely are. Um, I mean, when you say even a sentence like that, I think most listeners will go, yeah. Like who is cultivating the ability to sit in suffering for ourselves, let alone for others? I mean, there's a whole industry created to help us dissociate from it. Like the get well soon cards and the delivery flowers and the happy balloons. And like they, there's an intermediary for you to avoid doing that for somebody else mm. because of how hard it is. Yes. And if you do send the cards or the flowers, like it's this, you know, hey, thank you, you did like a really good thing. But emotionally, mentally, relationally, were you were you actually going into those waters? Because those waters are deep.
0: Mm.
1: And I've sat with multiple people who use the same analogy, which I think is fascinating because I don't, I don't know where everybody's coming from that they're encountering this, but like many people express... That the to walk into the waters of suffering is to go into a well that just goes all the way down. And there's there's no coming up from it. So that's what they fear. That's what they fear. There you go. They don't want to feel sadness, grief, depression, suffering, those like typically associated as darker, heavier emotions, because when you do, like you're gonna go you know, from here in the U.S., that that tunnel goes all the way down to China, but then sucks you out the other side Mm -hmm. of the universe. Totally.
0: So Nana, my mom is with Jesus now, so I can tell some more stories because she's like totally fine with it now. She sees it all, gets it all, all is forgiven. Um, And I do, I do, I I do love and forgive her. But one of the fascinating experiences of my life, Sam, with regards to this was um, I had a fear of crying. Mm. As an adult, male, mm-hmm. I had a fear of crying and I was trying to figure out why, where did that come from? Yeah. And what I discovered was that I had never seen my mother cry
1: mm.
0: and the way difficult emotions, the way suffering and loss were handled in my childhood home was get past it quickly as quickly as you can. Don't linger in it. Don't stay in it. Don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. Get past it. And I understand. I understand. When you're in a survival mode. Yeah. There's probably a time and a place for compartmentalizing. Yep. But you're not describing compartmentalizing. You're describing the environment. It's a lifestyle. F- for decades. Yes. Yeah. And what a joy it was to realize that that well, that mind shaft that you were just describing, that was my fear. Yeah. Because you go into pain, you never come out. Yeah. And I remember as a young adult crying over some losses, some things, some events, and being shocked mm. that there were, were tears. Right. Like I didn't disappear forever into, it, it was the unknown, the fear yes. of some sort of boogeyman that was waiting in the closet Yes, that wasn't there.
1: Rather, more like the child jumping off the side of the pool, your feet did find the bottom right and you're able to push yourself back up yes. after you experienced it yes what's fascinating is we are we're barely touching brain science these days and so everybody loves you know pop psychology whenever the latest thing comes out but what we've learned about the brain and brain mapping is the emotions that you feel the opposite is laid over that in the brain and so when you fear feeling deep sorrow that region of the brain is also the place where you feel deep joy. And so people that begin to try and limit your emotional range, you end up limiting your range on the other side too. Mm. And so by example, if you have like a scale of negative 10 to positive 10, negative 10 being like those tears you're describing of like, whether it was a movie or a heartbreak or the loss of a pet or a family member or whatever – Can you feel that negative 10 emotion? Because as soon as you say, no, 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 that's too much because I think that 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 well goes all the way down to infinity. So I'm going to let myself feel like disappointment and sadness, which like that's actually probably more like a negative three. That's not actually Mm -hmm, that far mm -hmm. down. Mm -hmm. What you have just done on the positive side is you've limited yourself to a positive three. Well, you want to know why you don't experience deep joy and presence in the moment? Because well, you won't let yourself feel the opposite. Come on. And then what ends up happening, and I, as a, you know, some self-disclosure here, I did this to myself when I was um, in college and was diagnosed kind of with depression. You know, di- depression's fairly easy to self-diagnose. And since there's nothing we can scan, most doctors go, probably if you yeah. have the symptoms and if it runs in the family. So I was diagnosed with depression, put on some antidepressants and felt, my brain and emotions just go crazy. I mean, I've described this before, but when you are adjusting to a new med, it's like somebody turns up the volume and then just starts scanning through the radio stations. Like you get two seconds on one, then it jumps to the next it was craziness. And after a while, i felt stable enough to go off them. Um, I know that's not the case for everybody, but in my journey, I really did want to walk away from them and see if I could implement other things, exercise, Meditation, like spiritual meditation um, and nutrition and sunlight. These other things I and, could use. And
0: healthy emotional expression.
1: Well, right, I didn't get there yet. So what I first did was I limited myself. Uh, to stop myself from feeling the lows, I was like, I don't feel lows anymore. And my, my emotional range w- for a while went from like negative two to positive two. And I remember Susie telling me once where she's like, I haven't ever seen you cry in five years.
0: Oh. And at the same
1: time, she was like, "Do you do you get it?" Not in the same conversation, but I'd also noticed that she would go, "Did you like that thing?" Like your friend surprised you, and you guys all went out for that bike ride. And I'd be like, "Yeah, I liked it." She's like, "Really?" I'm like, "Yeah." No, this is this is my excited voice.
0: Mm. And it
1: was this firsthand experience of what a decade later I now know. Oh, I had limited out of fear of the negative, all experience of the positive.
0: Yes. So friends, let me tell you where we're headed. <laughs> this is, This has got a theme to it. It has a it has a goal. It has a trajectory. You were talking about the parent who just shows up, the friend who just shows up. Mm-hmm. the person who is able to be present to the people in their life is the person who wins. Mm-hmm. Like it, that, that's the goal. That's to be able to be present to one another. Including present in times of suffering, right, is one of the greatest gifts we give, right, to simply come alongside,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right, and that's where we're headed. Yeah, um, that that our inability to do that now, backing up to this week's podcast, is is in part due to the fear of the mine shaft. Yep. And our own, I guess I want to say, lack of familiarity with, yeah. with our own suffering. Yeah.
1: Yeah. All of the pieces that we've talked about are going to connect. And I could actually even almost feel the tears coming up as we were talking about just the emotional range to go, oh, don't worry. Don't worry. like we won't take you anywhere that's like dark and heavy if I didn't also believe that there was beauty and hope and Mm -hmm. light as well. Mm -hmm. So yeah, like if you were to sit and go, what is it with our inability to sit in our pain and others' pain? I mean, you could write a lot of books and make a lot of money just trying to give people different ideas as to why. Um, You could philosophize a lot. You know, I can think of different Authors and books, and the problem of pain, and like, why is there suffering at all? But, like, guess what you're doing already? Even as I'm kind of giving you that little riff, you're dissociating again. Like, you're trying to figure out why we have the thing. It's like, whoa, mm. hang on. Why are we trying to, again to get altitude? Mm. I want to give like a couple of examples of like, so my father in law's brother gets diagnosed with this um, pretty aggressive brain cancer. Mm. And they're a part of a loving, um, communal, charismatic, prophetic church. All, all just for the record, are things that are beautiful and that I love. But I'll, I'm going to tell you the story, and then I want you to see where I kind of land in the hypothesis. So they get to their church, and it's hard news, right? You get a diagnosis like that. That's not, in terms of like cards to come face up, that's pretty bad. Yes. So the church's response is to go, you know pray and hear and they go like we hear that you guys have many more years together, you and your wife, and like this is gonna work out. You have many more years. And um, well, he has a pretty aggressive brain cancer. And so he dies. And then the church's reaction upon his death is to go, those many more years are in heaven. Like those are coming. You guys, yes. you guys get those together and like it's gonna be okay. And when I heard this story, why I this is gonna go to my hypothesis is I looked at that and I was like, oh, I hear your good hearts in that. And I and I don't know what you want to make of like maybe the prophecy was true and it was always the latter to begin with. That's really not the point. What happened in that story was the community around these people dissociated from the heavy news because they went straight to it's gonna be fine. Yep. Don't worry about it. You're gonna get healed. Yep. And then when he wasn't they dissociated meaning like they did not enter into they did not sit mm. in the hard places with mm. his widow and cuz they went to oh that's down the that's in the future like oopsies that's still going to happen and it's going to be okay cuz you guys have many more years in the future so they they left them alone in the suffering of the hard news and the fear of walking through the doorway of death and it, you know hence that's kind of where the title of this is coming from and I'll expound more on that as to why that phrasing but why? Why? Do we have this pattern. Mm. We have this pattern of in the hardness that might come, the difficulty, the pain, the suffering. That story is but an anecdote. There's plenty more Lots I can pull from. Lots of I use that just by way of example. I think you listening either have one exactly like
0: that or can think of them like that. Um, Anyone who has been in a small group. Right. Any, well, and, and shared difficult news or watched somebody else and just watched the group react. Right. People... Suck right. at being present right. to suffering.
1: And we do better jobs at others and worse jobs at like, so somebody loses a pet, we're like, oh, I lost a dog. And like, you're able to enter into it. When Susie and I miscarried, it was devastating. And our house was filled with flowers and we had cards and flowers and like all of a sudden that industry that exists to like keep us separated. Well, like people were dropping those off and people like, the relationship was there. I'm like, wow, like that meant so much to us. Well, then Blaine's brother takes his own life, brother-in-law takes his own life and they didn't get a single flower from anybody. And I'm like, that's, there's no small group at all. Like, why is it that we have Mm. this unspoken like scale where we're willing to walk into it and then somewhere we don't anymore. Yes, And pets. Sure. Um, Children, absolutely. Parents, spouses, siblings, suicide. Oh, oh, somewhere in there, we're we're like, we're losing people Mm, across this. Even like in hard news, a hard hard diagnosis for some reason gets dropped on that end. Um, Things that we can't solve, things that we would like to be able to, we leave others
0: in. I want to ask you a question. Um, What most people would say at this point is that I I feel inadequate to be there, Mm. but you're saying, yes, I get that, but there's something else operating here in addition to that.
1: Yes. Yep. To answer your question, I'm going to start with another story. I was brought to tears while reading The Gift of Therapy by Irvin Yalom, and the- existentialists in the therapeutic world really like talking about death because he goes on in this particular book to extrapolate. And he goes, you need to be able to address it. You need to be able to talk about it because when you don't, what you are doing is you are abandoning the other person to face it alone. It doesn't mean it's not there and you don't need to have the answers In fact, most things in the therapeutic office, whether legally or philosophically or ethically, we we don't have a lot of those answers. And what we get to do is stand or sit shoulder to shoulder with that other person and go, you are not alone in facing this. I will not abandon you to face this alone. That would be my answer. Like you can hear some of the emotion in my throat right now as I'm talking about that to go, oh, so the people who go, man, like I did just witness this person in my life lose somebody, I feel inadequate to move towards them. I would give you two cards. There are two cards on the table for you to choose. The first is to abandon that person. Yeah, you you agree. What they're facing is too much. It's too big. <clears throat> so better better to not get sucked into. Mm. Or you can sit with them and tell them that you'll face it together. Mm. That's it. Yes. Like in this yes. holy, heartbreaking, human, you don't actually need the answers. In fact, it's often better if you don't have them. Yes. Because your answers, your quick. Oh, it's going to be okay is trying to pull the person out again. Like what would it be like for you just to go and sit, to show up, to bring a meal and just to go, ah, I'm, I'm here. And I just want to say with you. Yes. If those were the cards on the table, which I really kind of want to force your hand in, like you have to pick one. Yes. You are picking. You you yes. already are. You already you're either already deciding that like, it's too big.
0: Every day you're picking one of those cards. And I get
1: it. I like I genuinely do that it, it feels really, really, really scary when you don't have the training or the equipment or the right answers or the degree or the whatever. Like, guess what? I have a lot of those things. It's still scary. Yeah. It's still you don't have the answers yes. for that person. Yes. That's okay. Yeah. You don't have to. That what what would you do if the invitation was purely be present. Sit with them. Just show up. Just just look at it together whether it's a diagnosis, whether it's a death, whether it's the loss of relationship, whether it's the loss of a pet. Loss of a job. Chronic suffering. Girlfriend that just broke up with your friend. Like whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. Can you sit with him in it?
0: Yes. And what I want to do this week is back it up and ask that exact same question of your own disappointments, heartaches, and suffering. Because wouldn't you say that the correlation is the degree to which we refuse to go there for ourselves? Mm-hmm creates a lifestyle, right, a a way that then therefore we're super uncomfortable doing it with others. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, Several thoughts to that. One is uh,
1: years ago, Dan Allender told us this in, in a class where he's just said, like, you can't take anyone anywhere you haven't gone yourself. Boom. Simple as that. How do you invite someone to sit in their suffering when you won't sit in yours? And it's very different, but it's still like the, 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 the specifics are different, but the thematics are the same.
0: And something like the soul's willingness, mm-hmm. right? Just the soul's willingness of in bumpy ways, I've begun to learn to do this with myself. I can emote over losses, frustrations, heartaches, large and small, We're not just talking about, you know, the fatal diagnosis. Mm -hmm. When I discovered that tears were not the abyss, that I could feel emotion and go, oh my gosh, there's no boogeyman under that bed. Like it was freeing Mm -hmm. to me to then begin to sort of pursue, well, then what do I do with disappointment? Let's, Let's back it down from... Really big heartache, and just start looking at what do I do with disappointment? Mm-hmm. What do I do with simpler losses? The dozen you experienced yesterday. Right. I was on a podcast recently in the uh, caretaker world. Um, so I just take my shoes off, like, phew, these are folks who are 24 7 caregivers to a child, a spouse, a parent, you know. Mm-hmm. And He asked me at the end of the show, he said, John, what have you learned in terms of emotional health? What do folks need? And I said, you need a baseball bat and a trash can, Hmm. Mm -hmm. which I have and I use and I recommend strongly to people these days or a spatula and a sofa cushion. Like where do you get to emote? Right. And and enter those feelings and give voice to them and shout. And (laughs) a friend was over last week and Stacy said, do you need some plates to break? Right, I have some, I have some extra plates. And she sent them on Yes, with old, you know, sort of goodwill plates. Like smash these. Yes, go smash these. Back to that
1: neuroscience piece again. Like if you cannot go there, and we're not demanding you go all the way to negative 10. But like, as you're describing right now, the disappointments, the weariness of the day, the negative 3 to negative 7. Can you go there? Because it is uh, so, so important. It is so human. Like there are so many verses where Jesus is willing to enter into suffering, willing Mm. to hold suffering. And if you can just hijack yourself for a second and go, I know this will be worth it because I will experience deeper and more profound joy in life as a consequence of me being willing to expand my emotional range and actually enter into these hard things. Like if you have to hand that little carrot out there in front of yourself, like I want to laugh again when people tell me jokes. I want to stop and look at the crocus coming through this spring and and be starstruck for a minute. Well, you can't because you can not experience disappointment, Mm. let alone suffering, Mm. let alone grief. Mm. So you don't get that.
0: Unless I want joy to back. I want to be excited about things.
1: Right. And this isn't, again, and then you just get to be in the happy place. Like It is a healthy balance if you are able to do both. I think it's fascinating that the, the secular world is reeling and looking for answers with suffering and death. Um, Atul Gawande wrote a book called Being Mortal Years Ago. Yeah,
0: really important book.
1: And he has some great quotes in it and some pieces. Um, but here's one of them. And the book's premise is essentially looking at the American medical system going, we don't die well.
0: We We're so scared of death. We're so scared. We keep people alive at ridiculous levels of expense. You know, the hundred and two-year-old who's still on all kinds of, you know, treatment. Right. Yeah. We have stopped looking at quality
1: of life and just looked at can we make it lasts longer.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, something that I I wouldn't have had my eyes open to this if I wasn't married to a nurse who worked on floors and was and she was sitting with this on a daily basis. But one of the quotes from his book is, we've been wrong about what our job is in medicine. We think our job is to ensure health and survival, but really it is larger than that. It is to enable well-being. So there's a snippet, like the secular medical world is trying to figure out yes. what their job is to do with us, what is well-being, yes. beyond just survival. Yes. Another piece that's very popular in the world is uh, a guy named Michael Pollan wrote a book called How to Change Your Mind. And he looks at the effects of psychedelics and psychotropics and how those are all coming back in the medical field. I don't mean to push your buttons. We don't have to go down that rabbit hole. Here's the thing that I think is fascinating. People that do not have a spiritual understanding of their reality need to go on a psychotic trip in order to experience peace with their death. Yes. That was a deep theme of the book. That's a deep piece of where the medical world is in the United States. Like They're using it in terminal medical facilities to go, how do we alleviate death anxiety for people who are on this brink? Because, Mm -hmm. well, guess what? They lived a life where they had to dissociate from their pain. They lived a life where suffering is bad. They're in a medical system where we just prop you up. We don't care about your well-being. And now we're going to give you um a mushroom or a pill that lets you have some kind of inner peace mm. because it's not coming in your worldview. It just, there's no answer. I looked at that and was like, this, this should be profound to us. Like something in us should go. Oh my gosh, do we need that kind of an experience? Or that, like, the system is broken. A, a quote that I love from um, John Mark Comer's The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry is Every system is perfectly designed to deliver the results that it delivers. Yes. To go, guess what? Yes. Like, the world system is delivering the results of fear, of needing to have a drug induced trip to have peace, of the get well soon dissociation from your suffering. And it has people with a limited emotional range, with higher rates of depression than ever, with higher rates of suicide than ever. Anxiety. But something in me wants to go, you guys, like the results of the system are are
0: out. Yes.
1: Do you want to choose a different way?
0: Yes. And as we land this part one, to say, God is really good at this.
1: There are a few stories for me in the Bible that are like bolded for me. And I don't have the greatest biblical memory and education. I'm sorry about that, dad. You paid a lot of money for me to have it. It's fine. It's I think it's maybe the bar's lower than I think. And I could take my own lesson. The story of Lazarus. When you read the story of Lazarus, it's weird because Jesus is in one town and he gets news that his friend Lazarus is dying. And he says these things like, I'm, I'm gonna stay here you're going to see my glory and it's good that I wasn't with him to prevent his death because now your eyes will be open. He says these things where you're like, okay, that's kind of weird. Like, are you using your friend as like this miracle? I don't think I understand fully those pieces of it. Here's the piece where the story shifts for me. So Jesus has this worldview where he knows before Lazarus gets sick, I'm going to heal you. This is not the end for you and is able to move a little bit more slowly towards him. Then on his journey to resurrect Lazarus from the dead, Mary comes to Jesus on the way. He's, he's coming to go resurrect Lazarus. So he yes. knows the end. A little bit like the prophetic church of like, yes. it's going to be well. Here's the verses. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her were also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see verse 35, Jesus wept. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: That should be a worldview class in a nutshell to go, here is the God-made man who knows the ending, who could bypass the suffering and chooses not to, Mm -hmm. who is able to weep on his way to heal and resurrect and fix, but he doesn't skip the process. Mm. He doesn't dissociate from the suffering of the people around him or his own. He's able to enter into it on his way to what he knows will be
0: restored. Mm. And that is Jesus. The living God. Friends, we're on a journey towards uh, a goal, towards a desire at least, to be the kind of people who are able to be present with one another in the hard stuff. And I remember a friend said to me last year, everybody runs from the hard, well, we don't want to be people who run from hard. And so we'll be back next week.